In today's podcast, we are so excited to have Jim Parker. You're going to learn a lot from Jim. Jim is currently the Regional Director of Communications at Dimensional Fund Advisors. They're a global asset management firm, but Jim's experience is vast. He has worked in journalism, in the press and radio, television, and crossed over to financial services. I think that you're going to find Jim's story really interesting, and if you're an investor, it's a must listen. So here is Jim. Well, today I'm very excited to uh, have an amazing guest speaker today. I've got Jim Parker. Jim Parker is a Regional Director of Communications with Asset Manager Dimensional Fund Advisors. He joined Dimensional in 2006 after a quarter of a century in journalism. So during his journalistic career, Jim worked across all mediums, radio, television, newspapers, and online media. He's a specialist in financial markets and economics, and his career has taken him to London, Tokyo, and also New York, and of course, Sydney, where he is today. His most recent journalistic roles with the Australian Financial Review. He's also worked for the ABC, AAP, Reuters, and the American publisher, Knight Ritter. So Jim is a graduate in economic history from Deakin University, Geelong, and in journalism from Auckland University of Technology. He lives in Sydney with his wife and two adult children. Welcome, Jim. How are you? Very good, Nigel. Good to be here. Yeah, although it's a real privilege to have you on today, Jim, and I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of uh, our chat today. So. Look, what I'd like to ask first is um, tell me a bit about your story. Well, you covered a bit of it there. I was born in New Zealand. You'll probably notice this by my accent. Uh, Grew up there, was educated there, was educated by the Maris Brothers in in Auckland. Uh, Went to Auckland University of Technology to study journalism and uh, worked in radio initially, then moved to Australia from Australia, then sort of all around the world, um, specialising in finance and economics and uh, a lot of time with wire services, Reuters and AAP, and eventually with the Financial Review. And so I was doing that for about 25 years and then thought, saw the writing on the wall and got out. <laughs> right. Amazing having uh, seen the world through your career, which is a, a, is a great story in itself. But um, you know, why did you choose journalism as a profession? Um, like a lot of journalists, people who become journalists, I like to write, I like to communicate. I'm interested in the world, I'm interested in politics and economics and finance and you know everything that's going on in history. I studied history at university. So I was naturally drawn towards telling stories um, and I really like writing and I really like communicating. So it was a pretty easy decision, competitive course to get into. Um, a lot of people come out of it, do different things. We worked in radio, we worked in TV, we worked in newspapers. And of course, technology has changed so much in the, in the uh, well, the 30 years um, since I, more than 40 years actually, since I first looked at journalism. Yeah, I mean, you must have seen so many changes from those early days to today. You know, we're talking on a, uh, through a mobile phone. Um, it's it's um, things you must have seen in the, in the development of the, of the profession. But you know, it's an interesting change to move from, you know, the media and, and, and places like the Australian Financial Review to cross over to financial services. You know, what made you change over? Well, it was a bit of push and it was a bit of pull, uh, Nigel. The push factors were uh, the media has been in a tough spot economically now for going back 25, 30 years, but particularly since around the turn of the millennium. And the reason for that was the internet. And in short, what happened was the internet came along and basically cannibalized the media business. And, you know, they used to make their money out of ads, classified ads. Remember, you used to get the Saturday paper and it was full of all these car ads and job ads and, you know, real estate ads. 
Well, of course, they all went online, seek.com, realestate.com. The newspapers lost that, those rivers of gold that subsidise good journalism. And from about 2000, newspapers and TV and radio started to scale back their newsrooms. And journalists were required to do more and more with, with less and less um, because, you know, they weren't getting the advertising revenues. So at that point, I thought, I don't think there's a long term future here. Uh, I'm interested in economics and, and financial services. I'm interested in investment and financial markets. That's what I've been writing about most of my career. So why don't I sort of transfer over to financial services? And I found a role which just suit, suited me down to the ground. Yeah, no, really interesting. I mean, certainly lots to talk about in financial services, and and particularly the um, you know the, the company you all work for, Dimensional, uh, has been around a long time. But you know, tell me a bit about Dimensional and, and why they're different. Well, I hadn't. To be frank, I had never heard of them when I um, joined Dimensional. I spoke to a colleague of mine at the Financial Review who covered asset managers, and she said, "I think they're a quant, but that's about all I know about them. They were so low profile." Um, but I got to meet them and talk with them, and I thought I really liked their story. Um, Dimensional's been around since 1981, so that's 40 years this year. Um, they started off as a small cap manager, just uh, investing in small company stocks, because that was really tough at the time. But a lot of institutional investors wanted small cap exposure. Their, their views are grounded in academia, so there are a lot of Nobel laureates um, influenced Dimensional over the years and still work with the company. And really what they're doing is systematically investing in parts of the market that have a higher expected return over the long term. So small company stocks I mentioned, but also value stocks, low relative price stocks, more profitable company stocks, and then in fixed income and term and credit. And they build really diversified strategies around these premiums and deliver them at, at low cost and very efficiently. So I think it's a really effective investment story. They don't try to second guess the market. They don't try and forecast what's going to happen next. Um, they're very principled. They've never paid commissions to financial advisors. Um, they, they see themselves as an institutional asset manager, which delivers these premiums very systematically, very reliably, and in a way that's free of conflict. So for me, it was a really easy story to tell because I think it's the right thing for most people to do. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, look, um, in the investment industry, as you know better than most, is a is one that the messaging out there in the that most people see is very confusing and um they can they can obviously get the wrong information or they can believe that you know the way to win is to trade or the way to win is to buy bitcoin um, but then you come across a, a an institution like dimensional who've just stuck to their guns and and for a long time and have and the, and the results are there so in many ways it's probably you know, maybe an easy story to tell but perhaps it's not i'd be interested to learn more about what your role is there and, and how you how you get that message out well, part of my role is to talk to external parties, including the media. And I've just done a media interview just before I came onto this podcast. <laughs> There's still very large assumptions in the media that good investing is about picking individual stocks, trying to time the market, you know, working out which sector is going to do best next time. You know, and you can get lucky doing that, but you may as well go to the races and, you know, see how you go with, you know, putting money on the horses. It's not really a sustainable way to invest, but... A lot of the media is built on the assumption that there is someone out there who knows what the future is going to hold. And that's just not true. And the, the example I use is, you know, you imagine you go back to the beginning of 2020, the beginning of last year, and you told market analysts that we would have a global pandemic, the worst one since the Spanish flu, that it was going to kill hundreds of millions of people around the world, 
600,000 in the US alone to date. Um, where, where would you expect the market to be at the end of the year? And if you'd said that to someone, they said, and they had that crystal ball, I can guarantee they would have shorted the equity market and sold their stocks at the beginning of the year. And sure enough, you know, the Aussie share market fell 37% in five weeks last March. But by the end of the year, the market was up 2%. The US market was at record highs. The global equity market was at record highs by the end of 2020. Now, it's, even if you could pick what's going to happen in the news day to day and month to month, you've still got to pick how the market's going to react. And that's a really hard thing for people to accept. But even if you know what's going to happen, doesn't mean you know what the market is going to do with that information. So that's the way I tell it. Dimensional story itself, you know, because it's based on academic research, it's very rigorous, it's very numbers-based, it's very quantitative. If you look at their, their research papers, it's impenetrable unless you've got a degree in engineering and advanced mathematics. But it comes down to some fairly simple principles, and, that, and they're these. Basically, markets are really, really competitive. They're hard to beat. So rather than trying to beat the market, work with the market. You know, accept that prices will change. That's just the nature of markets. So don't go in a straight line. Once you've done that, work out where the returns come from. And over the long term, we know that there is an additional return from equities over bonds. We know that low relative price stocks tend to do better over time, over long periods than high relative price stocks. We know that small company stocks tend to do better as a group than large company stocks. And we know that more profitable stocks do better than you know, less profitable stocks. So what we do is we build portfolios around those premiums in a very diversified way. And what we say to journalists who ask is, we don't know which of the stocks is going to do best. We know there's going to be a premium there, so we'll hold all of them, or all that qualify for the strategy. Then what we'll do is we'll focus on what we can control. What we can control is being diversified, staying focused on those premiums, not spending too much, low cost, remember low cost, and most of all, staying disciplined, just staying focused. And that's exactly what the average person should do. It's really not rocket science. Even though there is a lot of rocket science behind it, um, you don't necessarily have to speak that language to understand the story. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, there's so much evidence out there. This is how markets work and the, the academics behind uh, markets and, and those that have uh, been involved with dimensional and the dimensional lens on. So it must be a bit frustrating to continually see this noise in the media that's completely contrary to that evidence that is just there waiting for investors to use. It's like a gift. Here's how to invest. Yeah. You, you talk a lot about that in your in your yeah. books and a lot of your commentary about this media noise. Like, how do, how do you explain that to investors? Like, uh, I think the best analogy is um, when I was growing up, when I was first a journalist, finance news never appeared much in the paper. It was on the back pages. And the people who covered finance were generally very tweedy guys who sat in a corner and no one paid much attention to. And they yeah. do the stock market tables. And the only people who really cared about it were a very small minority of people. Then what happened is we had privatizations, remember Telstra and the Commonwealth Bank. We had demutualizations like AMP and the NRMA and all these other you know, big institutions got demutualized. People ended up with a lot of shares. And suddenly, then we had compulsory superannuation so finance, and you had, so Paul Keating was prime minister and he was talking about the economy all the time. And suddenly finance and economics journalists migrated from the back page of the newspaper to the front page, it became sexy. And, and it became like sport or anything else or the weather. 
And so television stations started having a finance report. They didn't used to do this next to the weather report at the end of the bulletin. That means that you have to every sec, every day you have to have a new story to go with. This isn't the fault of journalists. This is just the nature of media. You have to have a new story every day. I always use the analogy of dieting. You know, to lose weight basically comes down to eat less, exercise more. That's it. You know, but there's a whole industry built up around trying to get you to try these different fad diets. You know, the, the low carb diet, and the high protein diet, and the lemonade diet. And all these different diets, they're interesting, but really those diets are to sell magazines and books. And it's exactly the same with finance. They need a new story every day. And it's not their fault, it's just the way the media operates. They can't go up on the uh, on the news every night and say, look, you know, the, the market went up, the market went down today, but if you're an investor, that doesn't really matter. What matters is what happens over your horizon. The stock did this and the stock did that. If you're really diversified, you'll own all these stocks, so it shouldn't really matter to you. You can't say that. And the Aussie dollar went up and the Aussie dollar went down. Unless you're really going overseas or you're making a big purchase as part of a business, that really shouldn't matter to you either. And interest rates, well, you know, we can make calls on interest rates, but who's seen an interest rate forecast has come right? So this is what I call noise. It's interesting, but I say to people, it's like the weather. It's going to change every day. The market changes every day. You know, there's a nice talking point. Oh, let me see what happened on the market overnight. But it doesn't really matter to you unless you're selling that day. So it, it is noise. And, and I'm, I'm, what I say to people is don't take it too seriously and don't pay too much attention to it. Yeah, I really like that. I really like the analogy like, to the weather and also the, you know, the diet fads and, and things like that because, I mean, it's no surprise that people get caught up with crazy investment ideas because the, the access to information is at our fingertips. If you Google how to invest or whatever, a million things come up from trading, you know, cryptocurrencies to you know, fintokers and YouTubers. So I mean, that's one of the challenges, isn't it? That uh, how do we how do we get the right information out there? And how do, how do people sort of believe that that's, that is the right information? You know, how would you sort of guide people to say, well, how do you know what to trust when you're, when you're out there? What, what, what would you say to that question? We've got, being a smart media consumer, it's getting harder and harder because we've got so much information. You know, we've got too much information. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. You know, if you think about, when I first became a journalist, people used to buy the newspaper maybe once a day, read that, they'd watch the TV news at night. Now they've got phones inside their pockets, which are sending out alerts and notifications minute by minute by minute. You know, this is up, that's down. There's too much going on. And you focus too much on this stuff, you don't see the woods for the trees. So I think the way I look at it is this, you know, in health in the last year, we had these health hygiene, you know, you, you wash your hands frequently, you wear a mask, you maintain social distancing, common sense, you know, looking after your health. I also think you need to think about information and media hygiene. And what I mean by that is you have to maybe stay informed by all means. We need, we need to know what's going on in the world, but you don't have to look at it 24 hours a day. You don't have to spend more than maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day on it, you know. Look at the things that you find are most relevant to you. And in terms of, you know, which ones you should look at, I say you should never depend on one source. You should use a range of sources. One thing that people shouldn't do is get their news off social media because there's a lot of really unreliable stuff. Facebook and Google, and this is part of the problem and what's happened in the last five years in particular since Trump, is you've seen a situation where uh, what Trump called fake news was actually the real news and what he called the real news is actually the fake news. 
things. But you know, a, a lot of what was being published on Facebook was just rubbish. It was it was outright untrue, and there were sort of content farms, and they still exist in Russia. These troll farms, they manufacture news. They actually manufacture it because they're trying to get clicks. Their business model is to get shares of adver- advertising revenue. So these days, Google and Facebook get about 80% of the advertising revenue that used to go to tr- traditional media. And this is why you've seen the government trying to claw some of that back recently. Um, it's just not right. And those organizations like Google and Facebook don't employ journalists. They don't employ editors. They don't employ fact checkers. So there is no quality control going on there. The, the problem is, is that the traditional media, having seen their lunch being eaten by the big social media companies, are becoming more like social media. So this is why you're seeing these clickbait headlines like 10 fast ways to make money or why you need to buy Bitcoin right now. And here are the stocks that you're going to make your fortune. You know, it's all this sort of clickbait type headline is creeping in traditional media coverage. So I think you have to be very, very careful about what you look at and what you read. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is it is very challenging. There's just there's the clients come in and people are all talking about often the wrong things because that's what they're seeing online. So that story to try to get them back on track and get them to the right source of information and, and sort of educate them that we don't know what's going to happen in the markets tomorrow or the next day, but when they've been told completely opposite is a, is a real challenge. And, and you do some great pieces on, on that through your um, communications. Um, you know, one of the things You've been obviously working in the industry for, for over 15 years and lots and lots of experience and we've seen the industry go through all sorts of changes and the you know the investment community and the advisor community have got a huge responsibility to look after people's money. Um, some of these changes are, are making a, a, a difference and improving the industry but what, what are your thoughts on all these changes that have come through the last four or five years and, and how do you think the industry could be improved? Um, well, we know what not to do, Nigel, having read <laughs> the Hain Royal Commission. Um, you know, I mean, some of the some of the things that came out of that, charging dead people for financial advice and, yeah. uh, you know, not, highly, not com- yeah. highly compromised <laughs> activities. Yeah. Um, I think what we need to do is stop talking about an investment industry. We need to talk about you know, investment like we talk about education and health. It's something that people need. People need advice. Um, and if we're going to have capitalism, you know, and it is, it, this is the system we live in, then we have to make sure that we get rid of conflicts, that we have transparency, that people understand what they're investing in, that we have very clear information, that you don't get these compromised payments going on, that we professionalize advice as much as possible, um, that we have total you know, high quality professional ethics, just as in law and in medicine and other professions, because this is about people's money. It's about their livelihood. It's about their families and their welfare. So I think we have a responsibility to ensure that investment has the highest standards of any other profession. And we think about it less like a product based industry and more about a service that people need. And how we achieve that and how we monetize it, that comes second. But we have to do the right thing first and foremost. If we don't do the right thing, then we need to do something else, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I, uh, when I found Dimensional back, I think it was 2001, 2002, and, and the story that they'd never paid a, a cent of commission to any um, financial advisor, and they weren't taking shelf fees and all these conflicts that were around in the industry and, and were around in the industry until very recently. I mean, it was just so refreshing that there was this uh, business that was, uh, and it would have been challenging, I'm, I'm sure, for Dimensional to go through that period and never, when everyone else was taking it and growing and getting all these uh, kickbacks, 
Um, so it's a fascinating story and, and, and a great leadership story as well for the industry that, um, that Dimensional has taken that approach from day one. Yeah, I mean, Dimensional, uh, what they've always done is stick to a certain philosophy. You know, they're not out there sort of going, we're the best, we're the best. They just say, here's what we believe. Mm. If you believe that, that's fine. If you don't believe it, that's fine too. We used to have mm. a guy called Dan Wheeler who yeah. led our advice business and he said, look, you know, here's what we do. If you like what we're talking about, you know, let's keep talking. If you don't like it, that's fine too. You know, and if you find someone who does this better, you have an obligation to your clients to go to them and use mm. their services. So it's a very sort of non-salesy approach. Mm. They just say, what we believe is this is how markets work. This is where returns come from. If you want to get those returns, this is how you do it. You know, we yeah. know the answers to where returns come from. That's all been solved. The hard part is really people's own behavior. That's the hard part. And that's yep. where advice comes in. And that's where the value is added, is in keeping people focused on the long term, ensuring that they're taking the right risks for them. And this is why advisors are so important. And it's also why Dimensional doesn't do that. We we focus on investment. We leave the advice and the client side to the people who are professional advisors. So we don't yep. try to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 great. Now, for all our listeners, I'm sure they've, they've just been listening to this and thinking, wow, it's been fascinating to, um, to learn from you, Jim, and all your experiences in the, in the media, understanding how the media works, how Dimensional uh, works as well. Before we, before we head off, um, you know, what, what, what do you think? Is there, there's one thing that you think listeners need to take away to understand how to be a better investor. What would you think it would be? I would say that uh, the, the best thing you can do is not to focus on short-term stuff. Uh, don't listen to so much financial news. It's interesting. I think big e economic changes, yeah, for sure, stay informed. Um, but that, you know, what you do as an investor, how you respond to that stuff can get you into a lot of trouble. So I think of it like this, you know, um, think about what you can control. That's what it comes down to. You can't control the fact there's going to be a global pandemic and the Australian equity market's going to sell off 37% in five weeks. None of us can control that. None of us knows what's going to happen in the news next week. You know, we had the Federal Reserve out recently saying, you know, we're going to maybe raise interest rates after all. The market dropped its lunch. You know, we can't control that sort of stuff. But what we can control is understanding our own risk appetite, understanding what our goals are, staying focused on those goals, ensuring that we have a plan that's made for us, working with an advisor who understands you and what you need and what you can live with, because we all can't live with you know, a high-risk portfolio, and, and has got a plan for when those things don't work out the way we would hope they work out. So it doesn't mean that markets are gonna go up, 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 up forever. They're gonna go down, down, down sometimes as well. So we wanna make sure that we have a, a diversified portfolio and appropriate asset allocation for ourselves and that we control things like costs, staying disciplined and thinking about our own goals. And most of all, sort of rebalancing as things change. We've had a really good six months to a year in the market so far how, how's your asset allocation looking? Your advisor will say to you, well, look, it looks like you've got a bit too much risk in there now, so let's wind some of that back. But they're doing that based on what you need, not what you know someone is saying on the news that night, but based on your family, your needs, your risk appetites, your goals. Focus on what you need and what you can control. That's all that really matters. It's not really that scientific. That's what matters because we know what returns come from. You've got people like Dimensional who've got all the rocket scientists, and the engineers and the people who really understand the numbers. 
let them do it. They can deliver the returns predictably at low cost. Then you can focus on all the stuff you can control. And that's really the entire story. It's that simple. Mm. Yeah, oh, perfect. I mean, trying to bring it down to that simple story is just so important. And that's um, and that's what you do so well, Jim, and what Dimensional do really well. So I can't thank you enough. I've, I've learned a lot from today. I really hope listeners have, have grabbed uh, some great insights out of um, your your comments today. So it is hugely appreciated. We've, we're very lucky to have you on board today. Um, and thank you very much for your time. Uh, we'll have some links below to more information about, uh, about Dimensional and, and, and what you do. My pleasure. Thank you, Nigel. Great. Thank you, Jim. These podcasts are general in nature. And what does that mean? Well, it means all the information in this podcast doesn't take into account any of your personal circumstances. So it can only be taken in general. It's not trying to give you specific advice. Um, there are no mention of products or anything like that. But if there were, you would need to go and read all the product disclosure statements necessary for that particular product. We interview people and their opinions are their own. They're not giving you advice either. So if you want more information, please reach out to us. If you need personal advice, please seek uh, an independent qualified advisor or visit our website www.archcapital.com.au. Thanks.